The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. That's right. Anthony Reich is taking a quick break today from building his sukkah uh, to bring us the Israel Report. How are you doing, Anthony? Okay, talk, Jane Benji. I don't know about taking a break from my sukkah. I mean, we have uh, the sukkah uh, largely built in Israel. It is very traditional uh, to build your sukkah immediately after you break the fast. So on Yom Kippur night, when people have uh, come, when the sun is down, when the shofar has been blown, when people have had something to eat, the next most important activity is to go out and to build your sukkah. So most people um, would have built their sukkahs already, their sukkot, um, at least in the large part uh, after Yom Kippur on Monday night. Uh, but of course, there are still uh, arrangements to be made. We're heading into sukkot. Unfortunately, the usual Sukkot atmosphere doesn't exist at the moment. The uh, purchasing of Sukkot, the fairs that usually take place outdoors um, in towns and cities across Israel are not taking place this year in order to find decorations for your Sukkot, in order to find schach roof covering, in order to buy the Arbaminim, things that people normally need around this time of year is more of a challenge than has been before due to the lockdown. Um, and um, what's interesting is that finally we've had a very significant pronouncement coming from the ultra-Orthodox movement. Two of the top Haredi uh, Lithuanian rabbis have sent a note out to their followers uh, giving very, very clear instructions about what people should and should not be doing over Sukkot. This has been really lacking up until now, and I think that this pronouncement could potentially save lives literally as 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 stark as all of that they've um, explained that it is forbidden to host guests in your personal sukkah over sukkot that praying should be done outdoors as instructed by the ministry of health um and uh, they have encouraged people to be joyous on the holiday but only within their own household and only within their own sukkah. And by the way, the government has already issued a law which says that anybody found in a sukkah that is not their own sukkah at their own home will be subject to a fine of 500 shekels, more than 2,000 rand, almost 2,500 rand equivalent fine for anybody who is found in a sukkah that does not belong to them at their own home. And, of course, the problem within the ultra-Orthodox community is that something like 25% of the people who have been tested within the ultra-Orthodox community have been positive for corona. They have been uh, one of the communities that's really been spreading it more than others, more than the Arab community, which Arab, uh, um, uh, communities which also have had a very, very high rate of infection. And this has been a very worrying uh, development, uh, particularly now, but also um, earlier on, and I heard you discussing uh, some of the issues about a second wave and contemplating a second wave. What I can tell you from our experience is that a second wave is dramatically more serious and different than the first wave. If you think the first wave is tough, then uh, certainly from our experience, the second wave is way, way tougher. Um, and that comes for a, for a number of different reasons, because people's attitude is different, because we've now had the lockdown, we've gone back to opening up again. Nobody wishes to return to a full lockdown. Um, people just have a different sense of um, how much they can tolerate um, the uh, situation any longer, and so therefore much greater level of violation even though one would think that it should be better because we know more, we're more educated, we've, we've advanced just that little bit. Uh, we understand a little bit more about the virus. We have certain 
uh, precautions already in place, you would think that it would be better, but unfortunately it's not. So, uh, yeah, we're heading into Sukkot um, in a very, very different kind of atmosphere this year. Unfortunately, Sukkot is traditionally a holiday where people visit each other and go outdoors and spend time out. The spending time out is fine. That's all okay. Everybody's going, yes, do that. That's a great idea, but not uh, visiting people and not uh, sharing the, the holiday, which is, of course, traditional and uh, very, very sad because, of course, um, that's what people are inclined to do. That's what comes naturally um, over Sukkot, um, a lot of sharing, a lot of visiting, a lot of uh, community involvement. And this year, that is not the case. Stringent rules so that you're only allowed to be in your own Sukkah. Right, so that's uh, yeah the the corona and the sukkah. Uh, let's look at another story here, Anthony. The Israel Israeli Air Force has closed down one of its oldest squadrons. Why is that? Um, well, the Air Force is developing, just like uh, the the political situation develops. Uh, the Air Force, the Army, is also forced to develop and also forced to um, uh, move with the times. And uh, the uh, the um, Israeli army has a plan which is called the Momentum Plan. And the Momentum Plan is meant to free up resources so that more advanced aircraft, more advanced troops, uh, training, uh, people can be redeployed from one unit to another in order to reflect what the current needs of the IDF and particularly the Israeli Air Force are. And so as a result of that, the Air Force decided yesterday to shut down a squadron of fighter jets uh, as part of this momentum plan, this is a squadron of, of F-16s that flies out of the Ramat David Air Base in the north of Israel. It's a, a, a squadron that's been in existence for 67 years, has fought in all of Israel's wars except for the War of Independence. Of course, it's a historic day, a sad day when a squadron closes down. People who become uh, used to working with each other develop very, very close links um, over the years. Don't forget that pilots not only have to go through the pilot training course, which is an extended period of time, but after that, they have many, many years of service together. And so the pilots form very, very close bonds, not only with other fellow pilots and, and navigators, but also with the teams that support them um, over an extended period of time. Um, and so the redeployment uh, of this particular squadron um, is a sad day. The 117th First Jet Squadron is um, a very, very sad day. But the good news is that all of the soldiers involved will be redeployed uh, to do other jobs within the Air Force. And I think what we're seeing is that the F-35, uh, the stealth fighter, as it's like to be, as people like to call it, is becoming a much, much more integral and a more important part of the Air Force. And potentially we are able to do away with squadrons flying other um, fighter jets as, such as the F-16s. Um, so it's showing a very significant movement away from the older style and moving towards the newer style. And even though it's a sad day, I think it's a very important and a happy day, on the other hand, uh, to show that the IDF is constantly moving forward in order to take care of uh, the new uh, and developing needs that the country has. Now, Anthony, we were uh, joking uh, on the show the other day uh, about the fact that our local BDS chapter here had called for a boycott of Zoom. Uh, but I see a slightly more serious issue uh, in, in, in America where Columbia University students in New York have voted in favor of a BDS uh, re resolution in a referendum. What is the significance here? Well, 
I think there's two levels of significance. First of all, it shows some of the sentiment on the campus, and it shows to what extent um, anti-Israeli groups have an influence on university campuses, and we shouldn't underestimate that, uh, because in this particular referendum taken uh, at Columbia University in New York, we saw that 61% of the people who responded voted in favor of the institution to divest its stocks, funds, and financial endowment from companies linked to Israel um, and uh, to try to bring uh, the uh, the actions to fall under the United Nations International Convention of the Suppression and Punishment of the Crime of Apartheid, this kind of uh, very haughty, very um, highfalutin language to try to develop a resolution, an anti-Israeli resolution effectively. Um, so it does show that BDS still has some influence on university campuses in the United States, even though, of course, uh, things are operating under very, very different uh, terms these days. And, of course, the irony is that, you know, if you boycott Zoom, you're effectively boycotting yourself uh, because you're cutting yourself off from the rest of the community, uh, which uh, Zoom is really the main way that people are communicating with each other these days, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, at least part of this referendum would have been conducted on Zoom. Um, so the point is that it does show that BDS still has some sort of a say on these university campuses. But I think the most important thing out of this whole referendum was the response from Columbia University President Lee Bollinger. And uh, he made a very, very clear statement, which I think is worth just reading at least some of it, um, because I think he's made a very, very loud and clear and, 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 and important statement. And what he said is as follows. At Columbia, questions about possible divestment of endowment funds are not decided by referendum, but through a process involving the university's advisory committee on socially responsible investing. And then he went on to say, it is unfair and inaccurate to single out this specific dispute for this purpose when there are so many other comparable, comparably deeply entrenched conflicts around the world. So I think he has been the sense of reason and the sense of uh, logic in all of this because um, he has been willing to stand up to the uh, the referendum that was held by those students to say, well, we hear what your referendum is, but that doesn't mean that the university administration is going to adhere to uh, the requirements of the referendum. These decisions are made elsewhere. And I think that he effectively just killed the whole thing in doing so. There might be the sentiment on the campus, but it doesn't change anything apparently uh, from the, the university's uh, policy and uh, good on the uh, President Lee Bollinger, um, I respect his view, and I think he's done exactly the right thing under the circumstances. And connected story, a former IDF soldier is suing a BDS campaigner. Yeah, I mean, this is a very fascinating story about Rebecca Reem. She uh, was a, a, an Ullah Khalasha uh, from the United States, came to Israel to serve in the IDF, did a fantastic job, um, was serving in the education corps of the IDF. When a, a couple of years, even after she had been discharged from the army, she suddenly finds that her picture has been posted on a Facebook page alongside the picture of a nurse in Gaza who was supposedly killed by Israeli um, IDF fire. And the obvious insinuation was that Rebecca was somehow involved in the death of uh, this particular person in Gaza. Now, 
Um, Rebecca herself had never been to the Gaza border during the course of her studies. This was being published well after she had already been discharged from the IDF. It had nothing to do with her at all. This was just two pictures being taken, put together in a way which was clearly insinuating that she has some uh, responsibility for the death of this person in Gaza. And um, so Rebecca decided to pick it up with Shurat Adin, which is an organization uh, in Israel and around the world that fights against uh, BDS and anti-Israeli sentiment. And they have now laid a charge um, in the United States, a libel claim um, against the owner of that particular Facebook page. Um, interestingly, though, the Facebook page owner has since then taken things down and, and really um, contracted significantly the extent to which uh, they are advertising things on Facebook. A person called Suhir Nepal, who is uh, actually employed by BDS, um, and uh, Rebecca and Shurata Dean have decided to pursue this within the legal courts in the United States. They're claiming uh, damages of $6 million dollars uh, for the uh, damage to Rebecca's name. She did come under a significant hate mail and, 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 and a negative attack uh, as a result of the posting of these pictures. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that case develops within the, within the United States. Um, I think it's an important message that we need to send that these things are not acceptable and will not be tolerated. Absolutely. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show for today. If you want to check out Anthony's uh, views on various things, his blog is Comments from the Edge. Anthony, we'll, we will uh, uh, not chat to you tomorrow, chat to you next week. So, Sukkot Samach. I wish you guys a Shabbat Shalom. Uh, Sukkot Samach. I hope that you will have the chance to spend some time in your Sukkah, your personal Sukkot, where it's allowed um, elsewhere as well. Chag Samach, and I look forward to chatting on Cholomoid next week. Thanks so much, Anthony Reich. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.